Welcome again to CBuzz, Columbus's award-winning business-focused podcast presented by the Columbus Chamber of Commerce and Capital University. I'm Michaela Hunt, your host for the next half hour or so of conversation, and we bring you the best stories from the Columbus business community as we go in-depth with leaders, decision-makers, and more. We record the show at Capital University's Convergent Media Center. The center is a collaborative space where students and faculty from diverse areas of study work together in new and exciting ways. And we're about to dive into another episode and another great opportunity to learn from one of the region's best, Cindy Monroe with 31 Gifts. Cindy, it is so great to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be able to just chat with you again. Yeah, we get to sit down, we get to chat for a while. I think you have a lot of wisdom to impart to those who are listening. So we'll dive in. I'll give you a quick intro. But Cindy, for those of you who don't know, and most of you will, is the founder and president and CEO of 31 Gifts, which is a direct selling conglomerate that specializes in affordable, fashionable, and functional products with a particular focus on bags. Cindy founded 31 Gifts 15 years ago with a mission to empower. Today, 31 Gifts has been recognized as one of the fastest growing women-owned businesses in the world. Cindy, when I say that, is it surreal that that is the case? It's crazy because day to day, it doesn't feel like that at all. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't wait to hear more because I think we should probably talk about what your day to day looks like. So we'll get into maybe some of that too. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the history of the organization, how you get to be the fastest growing woman owned business in the world. One of them doesn't come easily, I know, and you're, but you're in the middle of it when it's happening, right? Maybe you're not recognizing all that's happening. How did, gosh, it seems like such a simple question, but how did 31 Gifts come to really be what it is today when you started it? I mean, did you dream that this would come to fruition? So I had no idea. And uh, honestly, I wasn't that big of a dreamer. So one of the things I love to do is to help women to be able to dream big. And honestly, back in 2003, whenever I started the business, it wasn't necessarily to have this huge multi-million dollar company. It really was to just be able to help some women that wanted to have some flexibility, whether it was stay home with their kids or whether it was to go to school and or back to school and to have that flexibility, to have a little bit of fun and to make some income while they are selling some really great fun products. I um, personally joined a direct selling company when I was in college. And so that was my first introduction to what is direct selling. And so I had gone to my very first home party. I loved the unique products. And I was like, oh my goodness, like I could do what she just did. And so I started uh, selling these great products and the flexibility around my school schedule was fabulous. I was actually married very young. And so it helped us with just generating some extra income that every young couple needs. Whenever. Everybody needs it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've got the house now. You've got two car payments. I mean, you know, you add a dog in there and some dog food. And so it's it expensive. It does. Yeah. And so it was just a way for me to be able to earn some extra money. And then, oh my goodness, I earned a couple of trips and I was just hooked. And so I loved that opportunity and I wanted to be able to offer that to other women once I kind of got out into the corporate world later on. And so that was really where I first fell in love with direct selling was whenever I was doing it myself. And then once I got out into the corporate world, had a couple of kids, and then I just had this, you know, 
idea of, oh my goodness, like there's no one really doing all of these great giftables. You know, there's plenty of makeup, there's plenty of jewelry, but where are just those fun moments to celebrate and to give great gifts and things like that? And so whenever I started 31, it really was just about having fun, helping women with having some flexibility, fun, and a little extra income. And it was never about just becoming the CEO of a major company. I mean, the momentum behind that happening and, and, and going from where, I mean, if I'm recalling correctly, this started out of your house. Is that correct? Yes. <laughs> so how does something take on a life of its own? Because I almost feel like that's what you're alluding to. There was excitement behind what you were doing and it's, it continued to snowball. It did. And I think it comes from whenever you... Um, you're passionate and you find purpose in, you know, building something, you get behind that and you start working really hard at it. And then whenever you feel a little bit of success, you're like, oh, I like that feeling. (laughs) And then you work a little bit harder and you keep running into these moments of success and just really helping women, other women is just contagious. And so it was so much fun and I just kept working harder. It was never just easy. And I think that sometimes, you know, once you get to a certain size, people are like, oh my goodness, like that looks easy, you know, and, um, but it wasn't easy. It was a lot of hard work. So I have to ask you, because I don't know if you talk a lot about it and I don't know if I know the answer. What was the company that you started with in college? So I sold kitchenware. So I did a few, um, Pampered Chef parties. And so it was great. It was lots of fun. I didn't actually cook and I still don't cook today. My (laughs) husband does all the cooking, but we still own plenty of Pampered Chef goods and tools. When you, when you start with Pampered Chef all that time ago, I can imagine. Yeah. You you stick with. So, um, so after, so you started this in your basement and then after a year or so you move out of your basement and into like a sizable warehouse in Chattanooga, 40,000 square feet, That was a lot of growth. So how how did you make that leap? I mean, here you've started this this company that's fun. You see a need. You see a gap with giftables. You're you're making women feel good. Trying to when did you know, okay? I've got to move out of my house. I've got to move this out of my house. So we had wall to wall, so many products and everything. Um, Our kids, we would send one of our um, employees or myself, we would all go pick up the kids and make snacks in the afternoons. And so it just got to be where it was a little crazy. And we had so many orders going out the door. Um, My UPS man was tired of driving up our very steep driveway, (laughs) making up (laughs) orders every single day. So uh, it just got to be where we really needed to move into um, an, a bigger place. And so our first move was actually to a strip mall and there was like a video store and then we expanded into the hair salon and then we were right next to this cute little pizza joint. So we ate lots of pizza, <laughs> but then we ended up eventually moving into that other space. And so we were moving almost every year, those first six to seven years, because we just couldn't anticipate the, the kind of growth that we were having. So whenever you're talking about hundred percent growth year over year and then 300 percent growth over over last year I mean it was just a lot and so we couldn't afford to just go into some huge warehouse and we didn't anticipate we would even need a huge warehouse so literally it was almost every year year and a half we were moving and I, and, and I want to ask how did you so we're talking about giftables and, and, and where you guys started how did you think about sourcing it because you had the idea in your head but how did you actually create and get the products that you wanted 
So we originally started out selling other brands' products, and so we went to the gift markets, whether it was um, Atlanta, Dallas. I mean, there's so many different ones, um, but we would go and we would shop for those, and we would wholesale. I mean, we would buy wholesale products, and then we would sell them just like any other gift boutique. The difference is, um, you know we were not able to um, have our own brand and own prints initially. And so once we were able to get big enough to where we could actually go and order minimums, um, then we were able to develop some of our own prints. And that's really when we started to take off. So given that, let's talk about scaling the business, because that sounds like that is a moment when you were thinking about developing some of your own when that happened. So back then, at that moment when that started to happen, how has your approach to business and and, and your business model evolved over the years from that moment where you're saying, oh, I can make minimum orders? Um, And, you know, as you've learned to navigate really the ebbs and flows of business. Yeah, I think that... um you know, at that point, you're just taking it a day at a time, honestly. I mean, we would build out a strategy for, you know, growth of 30, 40%, or we would hire another person or two. And then whenever it's growing at that point, I mean, you kind of just are like, okay, I need to add this person, or we need to add a contact center, or we need to add, you know, a different shipping um process. And we were literally moving around our warehouse almost, you know, monthly just because it was, it kept expanding. So we would be adding monogram machines or we would be adding, you know, new pick lines and we were doing it all ourselves. So I have um, a phrase that it was me and our founding mothers. And there was like four other women that were really helping me with the business early on. And so that was, you know, we were kind of learning as we went. I didn't have the um, the ability and to really hire like some great logistics vice president back there whenever we were growing the business. So I'll never forget we went to our first little weekend retreat and we were, you know, drawing out our little shopping carts of how we were actually going to get product out the door faster. Wow. Um, and it's so interesting that you said originally you weren't that much of a dreamer. But then you become a risk taker. Do you have you always had a little bit of the risk taker in you? Because you have to take some risks to be able to grow how you have. I definitely am a risk taker, and I um, I am a visionary. So I love to, you know, think about what's next and think about what's possible. I just don't know that I take time to necessarily like dream of how big it could be. <laughs> um, may, I may have been a little careless at times and people probably thought I was a little crazy, but it has actually served me well. So with that, I too, I mean, you, you guys have changed up your products even in the last year or two. I mean, you, you, you've done some different things, and that's part of the visionary work that you do, I take it. For sure. So, you know, we definitely have been innovative when we pay attention to what sells. We pray pay attention to price points, um, trying to make sure that, you know, we're able to also geographically expand into some different markets. And I'll say that California doesn't necessarily love our purses and wallets, but they love our thermal totes and our large utility totes and things like that. So yeah, just trying to be able to figure out what our customers are looking for from us. And then we try different things. And then like even our recent uh, home line that's around our wood products and our photos, like it took off like last year, like crazy. And so, you know, you just try things and you find what works. And then there's some things that don't work. 
31 is unique in the sense that you have sales consultants who help share your products. And over the last 15 years or so, your consultants have hosted more than 6 million parties, which is a crazy amount, where attendees can come together to check out you know, the latest and the greatest from you guys, some of the things we were just talking about. I imagine this business model creates a great sense of community surrounding your brand. So can you talk about that community and really how you focused on fostering that feeling, starting with that founding group, to where you are today? Yeah, so I think that um, we call it our sisterhood. And, you know, some people have come up to me and they've said, you know, were you in a sorority? Because this feels an awful (laughs) lot like a sorority. And I'm like, actually, I wasn't in a sorority. But making friends is not something that I can just walk up to a group at a party and like make five new friends. And so I will tell you one of the things that um, I think is really great about our industry is that women can connect with other women. And whether it's getting to know you at a sales event or at a meeting or whether it's that you were sponsored by someone to join their team, like you just start creating this bond and usually you have so many similarities from whether it's kids to your community to where you go to church together and things like that. And so I will say that it usually starts out with, oh my goodness, you just met this really great lady that sells 31 gifts and she's now like your best friend. I tell everybody, like there's nowhere else you can find a BFF overnight except at 31 Gifts. (laughs) And so um, that I really do think is attractive because I think that in our busy lives today, that it's hard for women to make time for themselves to be able to go back and connect with your high school friends or your college friends. And so you've got to find that community. And so I do think that that's just the plus plus of direct selling and being able to sell. So you were at this point where you have that going for you, this gap in giftables, you know, so there there were multiple things that made this get to this huge, massive growth for all of you. Um, at some point, you made the transition from Tennessee to Ohio, right here in Columbus. Central Ohio, though, was not your only option. You also weighed the possibility of moving your company to Atlanta. So walk us through the decision to relocate your business here and why Central Ohio? For sure. So we had, I mean, like I said, I was having to wear every hat in the company and we were trying to figure it out. But one of our most risky, you know, roles was around our inventory planning. Because if you get inventory planning wrong, then you either have too much or you have too little. And we were running out and we were having back orders and stop sales like crazy. And so um, we needed an inventory planner. So I actually posted an inventory planning job in Atlanta. And then I posted one here in Columbus because I was already working with a sourcing company here in Columbus. So I was coming here about every three months anyways. And so I posted the position in Atlanta and Columbus. In Atlanta, I had people responding to the position where they had... um, you know, planned for a store. Like, oh, this person, this guy had planned for a Gap store. And then Columbus, I had people that had planned for all the stores, right? right? And so I'm like, okay, I think I need someone that can plan for all the stores, not just one sim- single store. Because at this point, we were growing to, I mean, we were a multi-million dollar company at that point, and I needed someone that could really handle that expense. It's one of your biggest expenses in a business. And so um, that was really kind of what started to get me to look a little bit more here in Columbus. And then once I kind of came up here, I brought my family up here, and we ran like a little small kind of soft launch of an office up here. And then we were able to add logistics team members. And so then it just started to make sense that we would move the whole operations from Chattanooga up here. 
And I think about the other, the retail sources and the big retail companies we have, and we had that talent here probably who had been sourcing and helping them and doing all kinds of things for the Bath and Body Works of the world, right. the Abercrombies, all of these. Well, and we got a lot of great talent from Longerberger even because, you know, there were some really great talent that understood our industry and that understood that, you know, our consultant is our number one customer. And so how do you service her at a different level than you might from a retail box? story, right? So um, that was just another um, really great asset for us was to be able to pull from a, a direct selling company. As many of our listeners have heard on our episodes before, growing a company brings change. Some of it's positive. Some of it, you know, is a little more difficult. Last year, you came to a fork in the road. The lease on your space here in Columbus was not being renewed, which ultimately led to the decision to move the fulfillment service to Texas Mm -hmm. while keeping your corporate office in Columbus. How did you approach this obstacle and what really helped you to the decision that you ultimately made? So I tried to look at obstacles as opportunities. And so um, every time I've moved, and I mean, we have moved this business so many different times, every time I wanted to make sure that we were being strategic, that it could help us grow. And one of the areas that we have struggled in growing has been out West. And so whenever... We moved from Tennessee to Columbus. We actually had a significant growth in our business from being able to tap into the Midwest region. And then, you know, whenever I was trying to look at, okay, what does this opportunity bring to me? I can either stay in Columbus with a distribution center, but there wasn't a building big enough that could hold our distribution center and our offices. So we had a really unique space that we were coming from. And so it was like, okay, the DC was still going to have to be 30 minutes away. And so I was like, okay, well, let's look at another opportunity or other cities that could actually help us grow and could help position us for international growth down the road. So we really started um, looking at different cities and Dallas um, won that opportunity. And I'll tell you, we have had great success with being able to um, find some good people. It's come with its challenges, which I think every moving any kind of DC the size of ours with six to eight hundred people is going to have its challenges. But I will say that we loved and adored all of our employees here, and we made sure all of them had jobs before they left, and so they didn't skip a beat. And I think that that's a true testament also to how healthy Columbus is right now. And so I. I think there's lots of jobs and lots of opportunities. And so it's just it's just a great reminder about how good Columbus has been to us. I have to chuckle because Louis Vuitton followed y'all to Texas. They they just opened up some <laughs> they lo- did. did they? So you they were there did. first. <laughs> there's a lot of business going there. It's actually very interesting. Yes. Yeah, to see why everybody's going that direction, what it can do. But and you're saying you saw an opportunity to grow the business itself. It wasn't just locating this portion there, but to grow with the people there. Right. So you did something really interesting with that relocation. You held a job fair for those employees who are now in need of a new position. We did. Tell us more about that. I I think that speaks a lot to who you are and how you think. So walk us through that. So we uh, definitely knew that we wanted to you know, share our love and appreciation for all that our employees had done for us for many, many years. And so, you know, whenever we had to tell them that, you know, they were going to be losing their jobs and that we weren't going to have the distribution center here in Columbus, you know, we assured them that we would bring in some of the 
best, you know, companies that they could go work for. Because I think sometimes you don't even know where to start. And sometimes they don't have access to be able to go online and to be able to look at different job opportunities and things like that. And to really compare like which one would be at a great location for their commute or which one's on, you know, the bus line and things like that. And so we brought in some really great companies. And it was basically like a job fair that they got to do at the end of one of their shifts. And like I said, we were able to place almost everyone. And we had so many great companies reaching out to us to want to be a part of that job fair. Um, Because right now, I mean, it's just a great opportunity here in Columbus, because there's so much growth and great companies that are here. As a CEO with all this, you know, momentum and activity behind you, I just have a I have a question because it's so busy in your world and you're moving at the speed of it. For you personally, how do you stay productive in the midst of all of this and not get distracted? Like we live in a distracted society. What keeps you focused? What keeps you on target on a day-to-day basis? So I think that um, on a day-to-day basis, it really is just trying to compartmentalize and be present where I'm at. So I switch meetings all day long, and I think it's kind of a habit that you can and a skill that you can actually learn. So I'll be in a finance meeting and then I have to switch gears to go live with 3,000 of our leaders on their Tuesday morning, you know, sales call. And so you have to be able to learn to compartmentalize and you have to be able to think about, okay, what do my sales leader need from me right now? It it doesn't matter what I did, what meeting I just left, but what does what does the team in front of me need right now? Your audience literally in front of you right now, what do they need from you? Exactly. And so if I'm not present for them and I'm not able to, you know, help be creative and to bring the energy that they deserve and they need, a lot of times they need quick decisions. Sometimes they need, you know, strategic questions. And um, so I think that, you know, really just making sure that you're showing up and you're being present. And then I'll tell you the other thing that's been really important for me is I do have to take a day and like walk away sometimes. So I'm really good about, you know, um, just a couple of weeks ago, I knew that I was about to have three weeks of big travel. And so my husband and I went fly fishing and it was just the best little morning and it was so great and it was just relaxing and so I've caught a 19 inch trout and so it was <laughs> perfect and then same thing happened um, I guess a couple of days ago on Sunday we actually went for a boat ride and went and got some lunch and you know just I need those little moments to where I can unplug recharge and get ready for that next week. Someone in your position, do you ever scroll on social media? Because I think so many people who are trying to build something lose it between looking and technology. Like, does that ever happen in your world? For sure. And (laughs) that makes me feel better. (laughs) (laughs) I have to scroll. And we get, I mean, so much of our business is, I mean, online and even our sales consultants, they're online. So I'm definitely scrolling. I'm getting the temperature of where our sales field, you know, are they excited today or are they frustrated today? Did we disappoint them today? Um, you know, or did we totally blow their minds, you know? And so, yes, I'm definitely scrolling on Facebook quite a bit. <laughs> okay, good to know. Columbus has been called a hotbed for retail with about 1 million residents projected to join the region by 2050. Back to more of that retail angle, how can retail businesses do you think best compete with similar growing markets and really take advantage of the growth? 
So I think that Columbus can help by really making sure that we're keeping the these young, talented kids and individuals. And I will tell you, one of the things that's setting companies apart in my mind is how we are managing the different generations of employees. And so I think that any good-sized company is going to have about five different generations of employees. And so how are you helping those different generations work together? How are you feeding what they're looking for, even from a performance review? How are you blending together some of the knowledge that we have from our 50 and 60 year olds with the digital, you know, knowledge from your 30 year olds and your 25 year olds. So I think that Columbus can continue to help us keep so many of our college students here in town. And then how are we going to be able to attract some of the experts and the different ones that are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, you know, and even young 60s, because we need to be able to learn to blend that talent. And I think that is what's going to set any company not just retailers, but any company apart. And you've built your company, I bet, that way. You've been thinking about this. We have lots of generations at our company. I would say that we're still working on how do we make sure that there's that collaboration, that there's that respect, that you know everyone feels like they're being recognized and seen because your 20-year-olds want to be you know treated differently than your 50-year-olds. Your 50-year-olds, they're fine with an annual review. Your 25-year-old wants to be told daily how daily. great she is. <laughs> You are totally right about that. So, um, you know, we had the opportunity to discuss being a woman in retail back at the Chambers 2018 Retail Summit, but I just want to dive a little deeper into it. You had explained to me that day how being a woman in the retail industry, somewhat of how it had impacted you and and a women business owner at that. But how has it truly, like your journey since starting 31 Gifts, tell me a little bit more about that. So, um... I think the biggest struggle for me and being a female um, has really just been more about my age than even my gender. And so I started when I was young. So I was 28 years old whenever I started the business. And um, my amazing partner, Julie Sutton, at that time, um, she was 27. And so here we are, two, you know, young women, you know, trying to go in and get a bank loan or trying, we're meeting with the printing company and asking for, you know, 500 catalogs. I mean, like there was just so many different opportunities to where we had to grow. And we were sitting across the table from people that were like, are you 20? You know, like how old are you? And so, you know, I would, I think that that was probably a little bit combination. Um, but with that came insecurity on my Mm. part. And I think that's common at that age. Of course it is. Yes. But I think that insecurity also is working against me because they want someone, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, they want someone to confidently come in there and present your business case. So 
I was young, I was a female, and I'm feeling very insecure sitting across the table trying to learn about how to run a business. And so I think that sometimes we can put it into a specific bucket or say, oh my goodness, it was because I was a female, but I, I haven't ever experienced that it was just because of, it, it was hard because I was a female. It was hard because it was hard. I mean, running a business is hard. It was hard being young. It was hard because we were making big decisions and taking lots of risk. And so I would say that, you know, when I turned 40 years old, I was so excited. <laughs> it was just like I arrived to like womanhood, like power I am here. <laughs> so it's so funny because, you know, we talk about like, you know, Wonder Woman and your girl power and things like that. And I honestly can say that I got a boost in girl power when I turned 40 and I loved it because I was like, okay, like I'm, I can play with in the big league now and I've already <laughs> run a multi-million dollar company, but what you play in your head is totally different. But do you think it's because, so I turned 40 last year. So do you think it is with it? It's just the experience and what you've been through and you just feel like, yeah, I can do that. I've been here. No matter if you're running a multi-million dollar company, you're sitting in a different spot. For sure. Experience builds confidence. And so that's where that insecurity was working against me. And, you know, people can tell you all day how great you are and how you can be in Forbes magazine or whatnot, but that doesn't matter whenever you're sitting across the table or you've got someone on your team that is older than you or they're the opposite sex and they think they know more than you know about your own business. And so you start to play little mind games, even with people that are on your team reporting to you. And you're like, okay, well, maybe they do more, know more than I do. And they really don't. Do you remember ever thinking, I remember being in my mid-20s and thinking, oh, did I just say that? Could I have said it in a different way? Like overthinking about how I presented something. For sure. And I put my foot in my mouth a couple of times too. You know, you're going to make mistakes as well, but you just have to move on and move forward. So 40, 40 is the place to be. Once you, we, I, we both agree on that. I yes. think once you get over that, you're like, Hey, I'm here. Adaptability is really critical to any business success, but especially in an industry like retail. So how have you and your team adapted, Cindy, over the years the 31 has grown. I mean, how do you approach product launches? And more so, how are you really ensuring your product is evolving with your consumer? We talked a little bit about it earlier, but it is all about adaptation. So I will say one thing I do have going for me is I am an entrepreneur. And um, I think that whenever you're an entrepreneur that can learn how to also be a CEO and run your business, like that's whenever you really can... Um, succeed and where you can, you can adapt and where you can stay relevant. And so I think that, you know, entrepreneurs love to innovate. I actually thrive off of change, which scares my team to death most <laughs> days. Um, but we love it. Entrepreneurs love it when you can come up with an idea and it drives a million dollars that day. I mean, like that is just like, you know, fuel for me right there. And so um, whenever you get to make those changes and you're the decision maker and you get to like be entrepreneurial and think of new ideas. I do think that, you know, that is what helps you be successful. And I think that's going to be really critical in the next decade with 
competition, getting more and more fierce, and you've got these young companies that are showing up and they're able to get products and they're able to, you know, get their company on a web, get a website and and start e-commerce like, you know, next day. And so we're having to compete with that innovative thinking and that fresh thinking and those fresh products. So we have to stay fresh. And so that does mean having an innovative kind of spirit about your business, making sure that people can change if something's not working, change it. You don't have to wait a month. You can change it if you rolled it out last week. And so you've got to be able to respond quickly and you've got to be able to have an execution team that will respond with you. How many people, so you think that way, which is a huge, that has huge impact for your company. How tight is your team? How many people are on the team that actually think that same way as you do, that are close to you and then execute? I mean, because you have your idea folks, you have your folks who execute. I mean, is there like a team of you that really are always thinking, kind of incubating? So yes, um, and this is something new that I've had to put into place over this last year because you've got your execution kind of day-to-day people that need to crank out our regular monthly flyers and our regular catalogs and you know videos and things like that. So I did bring together a team this last year and there's only about four of us and we're the kind of that strategy team of, okay, what are we gonna try different? You know, And we're looking at seasons ahead, but then we also meet three times a week to where we're saying, okay, what's working? So we basically are holding ourselves accountable to those strategies that we put in place six months or nine months ago, but we meet three times a week to say, how's that strategy working? And so then we're the ones that are su- that suggest, you know, let's tweak it or let's change it up or let's merge these two, you know, programs and events and things like that. And um, there's two of us off that team that sit in all the product meetings. So we're looking at product innovation. We're tied very closely to IT. So we're looking at our, you know, technology innovations or digital innovation. So we really are plugged in on what that top level strategy looks like and how do we actually hold ourselves accountable. And then we make sure that we've got some good handoffs. We try not to get too much into the execution. Which I think is a really smart strategy. How did you identify who you wanted in that group with you? Because I'm sure that's hard. It is. So Julie Sutton that I mentioned earlier, my partner I started the business with, she's actually on that team. She um, moved back her family back to Tennessee. And so we do a lot of meetings via Zoom and via video. And so she's on that team because she can. she's such a fast thinker. She can keep up with me. And then um, I've got a finance person that is on that team. And then I also have just a revenue, our VP of revenue that's on that team. And so we're the ones that are accountable. And to have that finance partner around the table then they can make sure that some of our ideas work quickly because you can't move very fast without getting some of that ROI and that business plan put together. I could talk to you for a really long time and ask you a lot of questions, but we're, we're getting close to the end and needing to wrap up. So I, I, I guess I'd leave you with this. So what is next for you? Um, for 31 Gifts, for you as a business owner, do you think, especially with that ion innovation that you always have? So we have been building our foundation and, um, you know, I try to tell myself that I'm only 16. We just turned 16 this month. And so I'm like, I'm only 16. But you have a 40 (laughs) plus year olds mentality. That's right. Yes. And so, um, you know, I try, um, we definitely want to grow internationally and there's so many opportunities to be able to unlock this potential for other women and for women in communities that don't have, you know, positions 
place to where they can go get a job and they don't have, um, you know, an easy way to be able to start their own business. And so we definitely see an opportunity to grow internationally. And we've got a couple of years that we've got to finish our IT foundation and a few other things, you know, just to make sure that we're ready to go because I don't want to go just to drive revenue. I want to go with my mission that has been core this whole time to be able to celebrate, encourage, and reward women and to be able to help them have profitable businesses. And I want that to be the reason we go international. So I need that strong foundation there. And then for me personally, I'll actually be an empty nester next year. And so, um, I'm pretty excited about, you know, how do I stay focused on my role at 31 and then maybe push some of this and funnel some of my entrepreneur energy and learning to play golf maybe <laughs> and that fly fishing I talked about. Yeah, you seem to be liking that a lot. I love to ski, um, love to paddle board. So just making sure that I'm getting out personally and just being creative and seeing the world and just reminding myself of how big this world is and you know what kind of potential there is still to be had. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention your husband because I've met him God, it's great. Oh, my gosh. Such a good guy. And to support all the work that you've been doing. I think that says so much. The relationship and what you have built with him yeah. um, and your family. I just, I had to mention Scott. So he was right here on my closing comments because we just celebrated 26 years of marriage. And um, he has stood by me, you know, through so many great days and so many tough days. And for him to really help with supporting two amazing kids and um, so, yes, he's really great. And I just feel blessed. And I'm almost even, I mean, I'm really probably more proud of 26 years of marriage than I am running a multi-million dollar company because <laughs> that it just says a lot. And we are still best friends. I mean, like I want to learn to golf because he loves golfing, you know, and we're fishing together or paddle boarding together. So I think that that just says a lot. Have you written a book yet? No, I haven't. Would you ever think about it? I feel like you have this, like you have a lot of story to tell. Well, um, I don't know. You're going to be my ghost writer? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk after okay. the show. Uh, Cindy Monroe, CEO of 31 Gifts. Total joy. Pleasure to have you, you in. you. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please let us know by sharing your ratings and reviews. All you have to do is search CBuzz on iTunes or whichever app or platform that you listen on. Leave your comments and suggestions. We love to read them. And it also helps us people find our show. We read those comments and use your ideas as we plan for future episodes. CBuzz is produced in collaboration with Capital University and is recorded at Capital's Convergent Media Center. So we want to thank their talented students, faculty, and staff for helping bring this program to life for our listeners. I'm Michaela Hunt. Thanks so much again for joining us and we'll talk soon.